The scripture reading for this morning is taken from the letter to the Philippians, continuing through our looking at this letter to the Philippian church, this letter written by the Apostle Paul. We'll be reading Philippians chapter 4, the verses 1 to 9. Philippians chapter 4, the verses 1 to 9. And you'll be able to find that on page 1351 of your Pew Bible. Philippians chapter 4, the verses 1 to 9. So the Apostle Paul has just finished speaking about how we need to put aside all confidence in our own works, all confidence in, in the flesh, and how we are called to lean on Jesus Christ alone, how he himself is uh, doing this, and how he encourages the brothers in the church to, to follow his example in doing so, in laying all of that aside, and, and in leaning on Jesus Christ alone as the source of their salvation. So with that focus of their citizenship being in heaven and belonging to Jesus Christ, this is the response to all of that. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you, also true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice! In the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you can imagine the questions that were going through the mind of Yodia and Syntyche at this time. How can we sit together at the Lord's Supper table? Especially after all that's been going on, all the arguing and all of the dissension, how can we sit together? You have to understand that in the ancient world, these women would have celebrated the Lord's Supper together weekly. That was the most common practice in the early church, and it was undoubtedly the practice that was carried out by the Philippian church as well. 
And these two women would have struggled with the challenge that they were facing. Iodia and Syntyche, these two women who the Apostle Paul says their names are written in the book of life. These women who are described as fellow workers, these women who labored with Paul in the gospel. They are not divided over a question of heresy here. They're seen as fellow Christians, genuine fellow believers because their faith was in Christ. And they had showed this by working to advance the gospel in the name of Christ in the different areas that they could. And yet they have fallen into a position, whatever it might be, in which the argument is dividing the church and bringing misery. Not just that they have different opinions on things, but the manner in which they confront each other is at the heart of Paul's challenge here today. They are forgetting that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And you can see that in Paul's words. Notice he doesn't say be of the same mind. He doesn't say agree with each other on whatever the issue is. But he says be of the same mind in the Lord. And it shows where they have drifted to during this time. He's calling them, remember who you are. In the heat of the moment, remember who both of you were called to be. Remember how you were redeemed. Remember the grace that you were shown. And remember that you have a common goal, the gospel and its proclamation. Rejoice. In the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, verse 4. He needs to remind them not just once, but twice over. It's remarkable, especially considering who it is that wrote this call to rejoice. The Apostle Paul is writing from prison, a very joyless place, you would think. But by the call to rejoice in the Lord... The Apostle Paul is encouraging the Philippian church to have perspective. You have someone who can bring you the joy of salvation even in your darkest hours. Think on that and let this frame the position that you find yourself in right now. Now again, rather than meditating on the gospel of salvation, it seems that they've been meditating on their arguments. They've been at loggerheads for quite some time. And it's understandable. Negative emotions are powerful and addictive. Being easily offended and being addicted to the validation of others who flock to your side. The sad thing is this, if you find yourself rehearsing arguments and meditating on the things that divide you, you're training yourself towards misery and not joy. By having these conversations in your head and spending hours dwelling on it to back up your particular point, whatever side that you may fall on, whether that of Yodia or Sinsuke, you're not being open to what's actually being said. You are training yourself to pick an argument. Your actions are rehearsing and memorizing and getting ready to launch. If you hear yourself 
in such a description at one time or another. Perhaps you can also see parts of yourself in the words of this one author. You find yourself looking for the worst in others. How else can you justify going off on someone? You're suspicious of their motives, you're cynical, you don't trust them, nor do you want to. Whatever you focus on, be it their faults or their virtues, that's what you're going to be seeing more of. And yet, the Apostle Paul teaches, rejoice in the Lord. So how do you go about doing that within that kind of an atmosphere? Where does the Holy Spirit direct us instead? Let your gentleness be known to all men. Equip yourselves for battle in a different way. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Other translations, you might find it as reasonableness. It's a word that encapsulates both ideas. It is possible to consider yourself to be reasonable without being gentle. Let your gentleness be known to all men. If you find yourself settling down into a place where you have focused day in and day out just on rehearsing arguments over and over again in your head, there is no room for gentleness and reasonableness. You and I, when we go in that direction, we entrench ourselves in our own position. When the other person brings in something you haven't thought of before, you're thrown off, but only for a minute, because you find yourself questioning their motives or looking for the worst in other people, and then you return to your talking points, and the Holy Spirit rebukes that. No, let your gentleness be known to all men. Gentleness should shape all of our dealings with others. Even at times when you find that a brother or sister is caught in a sin. Galatians 6 verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. This doesn't mean compromising on gospel truths, and it definitely doesn't mean that in our passage here today. But it does speak to the manner of our interactions, recognizing the temptation to wrong the other in our hearts when we come into opposition to each other. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. He is near. He is, in the words of Matthew 18, the king who has released the debt. And he sees us in the moment, getting ready to take hold of the clothing of the fellow servant with whom we disagree. He sees our temptation to say, in the words of the servant in Matthew 18, pay what you owe. He sees us getting ready to say, my will be done, rather than thy will be done. Our, so our king calls us, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The one who is the savior of the church, the savior of his people, is not far off. 
beyond calling for gentleness to shape our interactions, another point that our passage emphasizes is that disagreements can bring with them a wave of anxiety. And we experience this too. If we run into conflicts, if we run through these arguments, practicing, venting those that we agree with, it can bring a flood of anxiety and tenseness into our lives. And so he calls us, be anxious, calls to us, be anxious for nothing. Verse six. But how are we to go about doing this? Instead of running through our arguments and focusing on how others have wronged us, he calls us to bring our concerns to God in prayer. Seek to put them time and time again before his throne, not just with supplication, but with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Do you give thanks for the work of God in you, in revealing things about yourself as you come into such a situation, in revealing things about yourself that you did not know? Reasons for you to come before God in repentance again. Do you give thanks for the communion of the body of Christ, for his redeeming work among all of you? And do you give thanks for your brothers and your sisters? When we bring things to God in his kingdom, on his throne in prayer, and bring our brothers and sisters to God in prayer with thanksgiving, rather than rehearsing on our kingdom and on our throne about how right we are, our perspective begins to shift. Anxiety and tension comes out of this perceived hostility of other people. But it's hard to maintain, it's hard to hold on to an attitude of hostility towards those for whom you are praying with thanksgiving. Anxiety starts to fade into the background, perhaps not right away, but more and more with time. And hence, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. It is the guard that stands at the doorway to your heart when these anxious thoughts begin to intrude. That you turn around again and you place them before the throne of God with thanksgiving. The peace of God stands guard at the doorway of your heart. But don't end there, he says. Don't just stop running through all of this over and over again. Don't just turn to the one who has taken hold of both of you who are in this situation, the one who is the savior of both of you. Don't just turn aside from your own kingdom so that you can bring your brothers and sisters to God in prayer with thanksgiving in Christ's kingdom. Don't just empty your mind of this anxiety-producing hamster wheel as you go through this, but fill it. This is the next verses that follow. What is our tendency to fill our minds with in the midst of our weak loved ones? Do we perhaps find ourselves looking for more to feed our grievances? 
Or do we find ourselves falling into patterns and filling it with outrage, outrage from the news, mainstream or not? Do we find ourselves anxious to open up Facebook simply because keeping up with the joys and sorrows of the lives of those we love might suddenly be interrupted? Consider what you fill your mind with during these times. Our Bible passage redirects us to take our hearts and our minds away from more anxiety, this anxiety-producing material. Don't just pray with thanksgiving for each other. Don't just empty your mind of these things, working to leave your concerns at the throne, of, throne room of God again and again with thanksgiving, but fill your mind. If you just were to empty your mind, it's possible again for such things in this hamster wheel that you're running on of arguing to intrude over and over again. So he calls us, don't just have something that sets a guard before the doorway of your heart, but fill it with good things. Seek whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Find good things, the best of things, to take hold of your mind and of your affections. To inflame your heart with love and the fruit of the Spirit. To bring an atmosphere of joy into your home and into your life. Pursue these things. Meditate on these things. Meditate on what this looks like for you and your situation in the week ahead. And start today. Fill today with such good things. And what's the best of all? Who is the most true, the most noble, the perfect pinnacle of justice, the most pure, the most lovely, the one who is worthy of good report, the one who has the highest virtues and the one who is the most worthy of praise. Our Lord Jesus Christ, because of whom we are gathering at the table today. Yes, my sin is great. And yes, I have the tendency to fall back into my own kingdom, to fall back into the own, my own hamster wheel of pursuing such anxieties. Each of us can confess. Yes, I see my need. I see my sinful inclinations towards my brothers and sisters. I see the wrong in what I have done through the week, and I see my desperate need for redemption. I don't come to this table raising my eyes to heaven as the Pharisee of Christ's parable and speaking of my perfections, I humble myself. I know I don't even deserve to look to heaven of my own accord and I beat my breast with weeping and sorrow at my sin in the picture of the tax collector, you might say. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I can come to the table knowing this, that this man went home justified. I can stand in awe at the fact that the very same God who would show grace to my brothers and my sisters would also show grace to me. 
Let us meditate on this. Meditate on our own sin, yes, our own shortcomings, our own desperate lostness and need for which we come to the table. A table that we alone are not worthy to come to as those who earned it, but the table to which he calls us by his blood. The table that he freely gives to us. Meditate on the rich grace poured out on you at this table as we read in the form once again. Meditate on these things and the God of peace will be with you. Brothers and sisters, fellow workers in the gospel, focus on your common salvation in the Lord. Pray with thanksgiving for our church family as well and all of God's gifts as we bring our fears and frustrations to him, seeking his promised peace. Let us fill our lives with the pursuit of good things, our homes, our minds, and hearts. Above all, our Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever is lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, the pursuit of Jesus Christ above all, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen.